On today's podcast for Tactical Faith, we talk with Dr. Mark Hutton on the question, was Jesus a nice guy? Also, in today's podcast, we talk to a former student of mine named Luke Sanders, who's in West Point. We talk about his life and what it's like to be his age and be a Christian. Join us on Tactical Faith Podcast. Let's be honest, talking about our faith, it can get hard sometimes. Sometimes we get caught up in the world, but now the world will have to get caught up in us. We're here to talk about our real faith. We're here to talk about the real God. For unapologetic apologetics everywhere, welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. Welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. It's Matt Burford again. I am by myself, but that's okay. I got my buddy, Dr. Mark Hutton, online again today, and we are going to talk about a certain question that has been on my mind lately, which is, what does it mean to be nice? What does it mean to be a Christian and be nice? What does it mean in our culture to be nice? Uh, Mark, now that you're part of the program more than just once, and hopefully have you on even more, if I asked you to define what nice is to me, what would you say? I think uh, I think what it means to be nice is when you treat people well, uh, you're polite. Uh, you know, it's the it's sort of the holding the door open for someone at a store, or uh, you know, just th- that sort of common courtesy. I think that's that they would say that person is nice. I think it's really a it's a generic way of describing another person. You know, oh, he's a uh, he's a nice man. He you know held the door open for this lady or uh, you know, or took the time to, uh, smile at a stranger, that kind of thing. That's, that's how I would think of it, characterize it. What do you believe Jesus was nice? Oh, you know, I, um, do I think that Jesus, uh, held the door open for folks? Uh, yeah, probably, you know, I think there's a sense of common courtesy that goes along with it. Um, uh, I, 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 I think it's a fascinating question, really. Um, well, why do you find it? Fa- why do you find it fascinating? Is it the same well, reason that I do? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, probably. I mean, I look at the Bible, and, and that's that's our our only source, right? That's the only source that we have. Does the Bible describe Jesus as nice? Uh, I I don't I don't think that the people sitting in the temple changing money would have said so. Sure. Uh, um, what about, and some of the Pharisees would have probably described him in that way. What about his interactions with uh, uh, Mary and Martha? Seemed kind of curt and uh, insensitive, right? Right. The Syrophoenician woman is another. Yeah. Uh, you know, even the you know to, to some extent, uh, the woman at the well. You know. I what mean, about of his own parents when he was in the temple, or when he yeah. was you know, no. as a boy, right? Right. I mean, uh, yeah. Was that nice? Was that? <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't the temple though. That was in Egypt, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah, don't, yeah. I don't want people to give me an email. I, I went. <laughs> I didn't. I went to Beeson, not Yale. So. Uh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Baptist. I don't know my Bible. Yeah, but I mean, there seems to be there seems to be a difference though in being nice and being a people pleaser though. Yeah i I don't think you could ever characterize Jesus as a people pleaser. Uh, I don't think that was his chief concern. And, and unfortunately, 
you and I both know this, that for a lot of people in, in church circles and uh, particularly those people who are vocationally employed uh, at a church, there is a sense of being a people pleaser. And that seems to be a criteria, even for some churches that uh, they look at a, at a at professional clergy and, and they want that quality in them. Um, you know, that's the idea of trying to, you have to please everybody. And I, I guess that would be, con- some people would, would construe that as being nice. Sure. But there's nothing, I guess what you're saying is there's nothing wrong with common courtesy, but there probably right. is something wrong with thinking of yourself as people pleasing all the time. Right. Well, I mean, I'd love to hear from, from you, man. I'd love to hear what you say about uh, why, why is it, why is this question of Jesus being nice? What does it fascinate you? I think for me, it's an ongoing kind of question in my mind about what does it mean to be a man in our culture? Um, you know, there's a lot of different movements going on lately, um, especially in the news about um, men's actions towards women. And we know that's been a big issue. And I want to don't want to take those issues lightly. Uh, I think maybe uh, we are to some degree, if I can lump all men together, uh, we have to think about what does it mean to be a man in an, in, in, a, in a world uh, where our physical prowess does not mean as much anymore in terms of bringing home the bacon. I mean, we're not out there all the time killing things to bring home the meat to our wives, right? And as, right. A, and as a world that we're living in where it's more equitable between the, between the sexes or between the genders, um, I think a question, especially among us Christian men, should be what does it mean to be, to be a man? And as I grew up in the deep South, um, uh, I love my father, love my grandfather. They both to an, to an extent were the epitome of what it meant to be a Christian man. Uh, they both showed mercy. They showed grace. They did it with strength. Uh, I'm not saying that they were both perfect. They wouldn't have said, uh, my grandfather wouldn't have said it was perfect. My dad currently wouldn't say that as well. Um, but there seems, I do want to push back a little bit in my head though, when I think of the term nice, because I can't, it's a, it's hard for me to think of being a man as being a pushover, right? It's hard for right. me to think about being a man and being totally, a, be feminine or be soft. Like there's, maybe it's an issue, Mark, where you can help me of how we use the terms. But when I think of nice, I don't want to be a people pleaser all the time. There's just sometimes where I have to stand on my own principles and standards. And for a man doing that, it seems different than when women do it. And again, I'm in a dangerous territory here, a broad, you know, brushstrokes. Um, but if I can talk about men in the Western world, you know, what are the things that are, what are those blind sides that I have about what does it mean to be a man? And maybe it is common courtesy versus being nice. Maybe it's nice versus being kind. Um, I don't know because I'm naturally a people pleaser. You know that. You know, I I tend to be kind of a guy that likes to see peace. Uh, I like to see people get together and talk. That's just how God has created and made me. Um, I don't like drama, never have liked drama. I will actually go out of the way of not having drama. Uh, But what I have learned for 42 years of being on this planet is that sometimes you have to deal with conflict, and sometimes conflict is good. Sometimes leading people through conflict is a skill set. That's something that I'm trying to figure out. 
Uh, but God was not, Jesus was not a pushover, but he definitely also was not maybe this Viking-esque manly man's man either. I don't know. Uh, what do you think? Uh, well, I, you know, I think like what you're, when you're talking about um, the nature of conflict and uh, in terms of how we navigate difficult situations with people and the idea of being a people pleaser. I don't think, I don't think Jesus was ever interested in being a people pleaser. I think he was always interested in pleasing God, which should always be the thing that we try to emulate that in every, in every situation we're trying to please God. And if that means that other people around me are pleased, then so be it and great. But often I think when, when we're in the business of telling people the truth, that we always uh, want to tell the truth in love, but that doesn't always mean that we're nice. It, um, it may not mean that we're polite. Um, and sometimes I don't even know that we're necessarily kind um, in the way that we actually say something. Um, I mean, that, you know, in my own interactions with within ministry itself, I remember sitting down with a man who really made some inter inappropriate remarks to um, a young woman on our church staff. Um, and after an hour and a half of him really trying to justify the things that he said, it came to the point where, you know, we, we basically just parted with me saying, well, you know, I understand what you're saying about this young woman and her attributes, but the way you said it is completely wrong. And it just comes straight through the front door. I didn't say it in a very nice way. But it definitely got the point across. I don't know that, um, and I wouldn't apologize for the way I said it. I think the the situation called for it, and um, and we had to leave it at that. Um, but I don't. I, I wouldn't steer away from those moments. I don't think that Jesus was uh, um, concerned about someone's feelings, especially when it came to whether or not they were to have a relationship with God the Father and they could come to terms with who they were as a human being on, on, on that side of it. I had a pastor tell me once when I asked him, do you think that Jesus ever deliberately caused conflict? Hmm. You know, I asked, I asked about 50 pastors across the U.S. that question. Do you, did you ever see in the scriptures that Jesus deliberately caused conflict? And all of them said yes, but his, this one pastor's immediate response was, yes, but I'm not Jesus. And my job is to make sure that no one in my congregation gets upset. And I thought, how in the world then do you communicate, you know, the truths of the gospel if you're always constantly worried that someone might get upset with you? Hmm. You can't, those two things don't, don't necessarily go hand in hand. I think we can be gentle. And we, we can be kind when we're telling someone the truth, and we can do the truth in love, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're particularly nice. Yeah, Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So when it comes to relating to people, it's still just about finding or wanting or developing a skill set of wisdom, right? Um, yeah. some, some, it's, it's like how I parent or I'm learning how to parent as, you know, I have a son that's 13. You, you, you have two sons, uh, that are older than that. And one that's the same age. But as I've learned in parenting, sometimes it takes a pretty 
you know, hard hand, and sometimes it's being soft, and sometimes I get it right, sometimes I don't. Um, but I'm definitely trying to use wisdom in parenting. I would use wisdom when it comes to dealing with, with other people. Um, yeah, so maybe it's not an issue of was Jesus nice. Maybe it's an issue of the, the better question is how did Jesus deal with conflict? Right. Is, is that what you're saying? Yeah, but it's also the sense that, you know, I think when we talk about people, you know, with, like within your own, within our own families, within church communities, and, um, you know, there, there are times where we have to be the ones that basically orchestrate conflict, cause it, uh, in order to see some sort of significant change happen. I think Jesus did that all the time. I think the prophets did it throughout the Old Testament all the time. I mean, that sense of we need we need change here. Um, and so in order to do that, I'm, I have to be willing to speak up and speak out and push on certain things. And like you said from Colossians about, you know, our conversation being, you know, gracious and seasoned with salt. Yeah, we do that. But that doesn't mean that we're going to be particularly nice. People won't think we're nice. Yeah. it's So my dad's generation, uh, my dad's a baby boomer. The, the heroes of my dad's generation were the kind of stoic cowboy. Uh, I think about High Noon, the movie High Noon. Uh, I, I think about, to some degree, that's what Andy Griffith was for, for their generation too, which was a, a High Noon-esque with, with humor, a soft-spoken man who knew when to say things at the appropriate time, but definitely was gracious and kind and strong, right? I wonder who our heroes are today i mean was that was that the heroes that i had growing up i, I don't know I, you know i think of the heroes of the 80s when i grew up uh were big huge arnold schwarzenegger predator type men i mean you right. you know uh, from terminator to predator to you know die hard these were action-oriented men who pushed through things and were a man's man you know they didn't they no holds bar you know they just wouldn't let anything go. Right, um, right. But at the same time, the, the fun thing is, when you think about the movie Alien or Aliens, Sigourney Weaver had a lot of those qualities, right. you know, which is kind of fun to think about, you know. Um, yeah. So that I'm not I'm not saying a woman can't be those things. Um, I just am a man and I'm thinking about what that means to me. And I think that's important. And right. I, I see in the South um, – I need for men to think about what does it mean to be man, but and what does it mean to be man in light of who Jesus is. And there was a big movement when I was in high school in college called the Promise Keepers. Do you remember that whole movement in the I early sure 90s, mid 90s? Absolutely. My dad, yeah. my dad had a big problem with the bumper stickers that said "Real men love Jesus" because my dad used to always say, "So what is that saying about men?" Like you understood what the phrase kind of meant, right. um, but at the same time. What are we saying about those who don't know Jesus yet? Yeah. <laughs> what are we saying? Are we saying they're not a man? I mean, because that puts you in a really strange position. Uh, I grew up in the in the deep south as you did, and there was a particular way of thinking about men. I didn't play football. I just I didn't. I, I played in the band in high school. You know, I played soccer, which made me even more strange in my <laughs> state. Right. Uh, so I was in the band and I played soccer. Um, my brother didn't play sports either. And I was in a school 
in a high school that put a lot of social credit on those things, right? I was with the nerd group, played soccer. Um, I was in the movies. I mean, I was, I was not the prototypical dude the way that they defined what dudes were. But at the same time, I had men all over in my life, right? I will tell you about one story that always sits in my mind. When my dad, listen, I, music wasn't a big deal to me. That's just where my friends were, so I just kind of stayed in it. But I remember my 10th grade or 9th grade year, there was a um, kind of a mandatory band meeting or something. I, I don't know why. My dad played football at the very school that I graduated from. My dad's pictures were his trophies of the 1969-whatever football team, right? I mean, my dad was part of this big, proud football legacy from when he was growing up. His friends, 20 years later, were still involved in the, like the big, you know, athletic sacks football, you know, group that got together to raise money. There was this night on a, who knows, on a weekday night, my dad's with me at the at, at the old high school, fixing to go into this band meeting. Two of his friends from high school came to him and said, oh, Bobby, the meeting is over this way, pointing to the other end of the hallway. My dad looked at them and didn't flinch at all. And he said, no, I'm here for my son for his band meeting. <laughs> now, that might not be a big deal to him. That was a huge deal to me. Yeah. And I'm not saying, now that's a far cry from like somebody charging a hill, right? That is a far cry from, you know, a huge Hollywood man moment. But for me, that was a moment where I looked at my dad and I said, he is for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't yeah. necessarily think that was a moment where my dad, yeah, there was nothing necessarily virtuous, but that's, I knew my dad was for me. Now, how much more manly could you be? I don't. I mean, I. I mean, I totally get what you're saying about, you know, how much stock um, athletics can have, you know, and how it marks a person, and marks a kid, marks a life. So, I mean, especially in Alabama, I mean, uh, I. I so that that is a huge moment, Matt. I mean, that that to me that is a Gary Cooper moment, you know. Yeah, it I, is. I, it really is, you know, I'm, that's, yeah. And and, it, and, the, and the bigger thing for me, if you don't mind my saying, is the fact that your dad, uh, uh, you know, never pushed you or your brother to, to go down that road. To, you know, he, he loved you and respected you for you. Right. I mean, for the things that you loved and were passionate about and, you know, a, a lot of dads, they don't do that. And yeah. I, and I and they think it's big and tough but I'm like actually that's a form of cowardice you're actually cave you're caving into the culture around you rather than and you're t- you know you're communicating that it, that your kids value is what they can what they can you know do athletically and how they can compete I mean rather than who they are as a human beings so your dad's a hero in my eyes man so he grew up he grew up pretty hard in what we call Blue Mountain which is a little industrial town outside of Aniston you know his dad was my grandfather was one son out of many in Lincoln, Alabama that grew up pretty, pretty hard. And my dad was the firstborn. My dad loved to read. So he was in this industrial community where men's men were everywhere. But my dad would talk about stories of being out in the woods and reading Ivanhoe. Mm. But again, my dad would tell stories about being out in the woods and throwing stones at his brother. 
you know. <laughs> but when it came to me and my brother, my oldest brother, he didn't have an issue with my brother playing piano. He never had an issue with, with me wanting to go into the band. He knew I played soccer. You know what he did? He knew zero about soccer. But when I decided to play soccer when I was in, like, fifth grade or fourth grade, I still remember my dad going to the library and picking a book out at the library about soccer because awesome. there was not a head coach to play soccer. My dad taught himself soccer to be the coach. And to be honest with you, he was probably a fantastic coach. And my dad, you know, my dad got accepted to the Naval Academy. He was a – but there was some, there's something about being that kind of example for, for other young men and men that I've always strove – to meet or to be a to be like him that way and i'm lucky like i'm very blessed that that was the person i got to look at my grandfathers were people i got to look at and model myself after that type of quote unquote manliness Uh, but i'm telling you it's when you look around at our culture especially and and i'm talking about our christian culture i'm not talking about those that are outside of our church i'm talking about looking at our christian culture as men and we need to think about that question in an honest way so that we can totally renew manhood in a way that's God honoring and in a way that comports to reality so that we can find joy in ourselves instead of trying to reach some sort of standard that's, that's given, that's a worldly standard um, that will bring nothing but destruction to ourselves. And I think that when you ask the question, what's this question about? That's what it's about for me. It's really about how can I be a part of a process of change if there is need of one where men are, where men in a godly way, in a, in a, in a, in a Gary Cooper way, even though we know that's a character, uh, but in a Jimmy Stewart way, if you know about his biography about being in World War II, in a way where we stand up to principle when we have to, but we're also very kind. Uh, and, uh, you know, we use this a lot in the apologetic world, but a very Aslan approach. You know, he's, he's a, he's a, he was a line you could come and brush his, his mane, but at the same time, he was, he was not nice. He was not tame. He, <laughs> he was not tame. tame. Yeah, yeah, he's not tame. He was, he was he's so, good. But he was good. Yeah. That's, that in and of itself is probably what I'm after. And, you know, of course, I've got a son that's the opposite. My son wants to go out and, and, and rough and tumble, but at the same time, he enjoys robotics and likes to read. And, and we have to be more than just one-dimensional as men. Uh, we need, we're romantics in the best way possible. And I think me and you, we kind of understand that. We have to be more than just surface and flat. We have to be robust in, in, in the way we view the world, and, and with the way we hopefully can and could be a part of the world. And I just think it's better for your life to be that way. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah. Well, so anything else? Hey, listen, um, let's do this more. I think uh, me and you make a good team. And are, is there anything else going on in your life and in your, that we should talk about? Anything on your mind that you think is out there that needs to be talked about? Well, you know, I'm, I, I do think, Matt, that in this whole scheme of things we're talking about masculinity and what it means to be, you know, I, I, I think we're at the cusp of where that's being, um, there's some redefinition. Um, I think it's tough on the millennials, uh, trying to figure out what it, what does it mean to be masculine? What does it mean to be really a, 
uh, man? Uh, I think it's a, a really important question, and there's so much pushback um, within society. And in the last probably decade, there've been a lot of things written in terms of education about how to educate boys, because they're, you know, there's such a push for equality, which I think is right that there needs to be a sense of equality in our country, but but that doesn't mean sameness. You know, I, I think uh, there's a there's a court case this past week, which I just think it's absurd. Uh, where some you know women in I think New Hampshire were fighting because they were they had been cited arrested and cited because they were topless on a on a beach that wasn't topless uh, and they and so they were saying that that's discrimination because they were sunbathing um, without their tops on and if in the courts ruled in favor of the city that said no we don't allow topless sunbathing you know but they're like well but we're, you know, why can a man be topless and a woman can't? I was like, well, there's lots of reasons for that. And, but we're living in a society that's pushing against, uh, you know, that the, there's differences between our genders. There are differences um, and the expectations. And I, I'm all about equality, but not necessarily sameness. Yeah, that's a good way but, to look at it. But we've got a lot of we've got a lot of young men coming along who are trying to figure out what it means to be uh, a guy. And, you know, and um, what does it mean to have testosterone raging through you as a young man? And how do you navigate that? I mean, there's pushback on any kind of, uh, you know, um, sort of violent sports like football, rugby, all those kinds of things. And a push that, uh, you know, push back against it and uh, sort of a softening of things. But at the same time, if I watched a lot of the Disney movies of the last few years, uh, especially, you know, the 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 other swing is the the way young women are portrayed is that sort of the, the what I would say that ten years ago, twenty years ago was more masculine, and not that there's, you know, I just think we have to understand what does that communicate to young men, and you know, really, especially Christian young men, the the person we're supposed to work to emulate is Jesus. Uh, and how did Jesus navigate the world, and what does he teach us about what it means to be human in a, in a whole-scale way, about being strong and kind and gentle uh, and yet uh, courageous in the midst of all the things. So I think what you're, I think what the things you're bringing up here, Matt, are, are really important, and especially as we, you know, we try to, you and I both are raising, I've got all, all of mine are boys, I mean, you've got, you know, your daughter as well, and uh, trying to navigate that world from a Christian parenting perspective is huge. Well, let's continue to ask questions and let's, let's hopefully we can either start the conversation or, or add some, or maybe some solutions. If anything, I want to agitate myself and others so that we can uh, realize that maybe there are some questions that we're not asking ourselves. Uh, we're so right. blindsided uh, and we can, we're self deluded in a lot of ways. Um, and there's a shared delusion in a lot of ways in the worlds that we live in. And sometimes it's just worth getting somebody to come in and stir things up. And, right. you know, just like you were saying, Jesus did in the, in the, but he had the wisdom to know when to do it and when he didn't do it. We're not saying you need to be out there to be jerks for Jesus. Um, you know, that's not what I want to be. I can't function that way anyways. God didn't make me that way. Um, I've got other issues, but um, I, what I want to do is, and you say about my daughter, 
I think about the person that she, if she, if she finds somebody that she wants to marry, I want the, I want the man that she marries to function in a certain way where he, he gives value to my daughter, right? In the same way that I try to give value to my wife. I mean, while my wife is a physician, she's uh, smart. She went to medical school. We did that as a couple. We did that uh, with the acknowledgement of knowing that there were things that I was going to have to sacrifice for her to do it. And there were things she had to do to sacrifice for things that I had to do. I love the idea of saying that we're equal, but we're not the same. Right. And she knows that. And I know that there has been definite things in, in the there's issues when it comes to Christian women. Uh, there are effects to acting in certain ways and taking on certain things. My wife going to med school. The questions of, of children and child raising and those issues uh, had to be navigated in the world that she was in. And there were two polar ends of the spectrum for her, one being the women that said you have to be stay at home or you're not a Christian. And the other end of the spectrum, women saying there are no consequences. Go do what men have been doing for centuries. Well, really, the reality was the tension in the middle. And the same right. with men. There's two polar ends of the spectrum pulling at us. And what we want to navigate and help navigate towards is, I wouldn't say a happy medium. What I'm saying is, is the wisdom that's in the tension of the life that we live. And it's in that tension that God allows us an opportunity to, to grow and to become more like him. If it's too easy, if it seems too simple, then it's probably not true. Right. <laughs> you know, the we are not invited to a binary world where you got to do one or zero the real, and I'm not saying it's a postmodern world. What I'm saying is God moves us within the tension of this broken world, and somehow he glorifies us in the end to help us become more Christ-like because of what Christ did for us at the beginning. And that's what me and you want to honor. That's what Tactical Faith want to honor, wants to honor. And if you want more content like this, so do we. This takes time out of our life. In fact, me and Mark are trying to figure out a time for us to get together. He lives in Bristol. I live here. And we're trying to get together for a couple days to do more content, but it takes time and effort. If you're listening to this, I please ask that you go to www.tacticalfaith.com. Um, contribute. There's a PayPal contribute button there. Um, we don't take a salary for this at the moment. We just do this because we love it. We have a passion for it, but it does take, unfortunately, some money to get this done. So if you want to become a patron or if you want to be a partner with us, please go online. Uh, Mark's going to be doing more content for us in the future, uh, you know, written content, hopefully. Uh, Mark, give your website, your personal website again. Sure. Uh, it's basically just my name, uh, Mark A. Hutton uh, at dot com. So Mark A. Hutton dot com. That's my, uh, my blog, my website there. Well, Mark, thanks again. Hopefully we can get you back on soon. Uh, please, again, go to tacticalfaith.com for all of our news. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Uh, you can find our stuff on YouTube. All of our podcasting stuff is found on Spotify, Google, uh, iTunes, and more in the future. Uh, thanks again, Mark, and we will hear from you soon. All right. Lord bless you, Pat. Well, thanks.
Welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. It is my honor and my pleasure to break on uh, one of my favorite uh, young adults. Uh, I had the privilege last year of teaching this young man um, in a Bible class. He sat to my right. Uh, he had this mischievous look on his face most of the time like he had done something. And then lo and behold, he took that mischievousness and actually applied for West Point, got in, and that's where he's at now. This is Luke Sanders. How are you doing, Luke? I'm pretty good, uh, Dr. Griffin. How are you? Uh, well, I'm doing great. How's uh, West Point? Uh, it's pretty good. It's, it's colder than I like it to be, but uh, it's pretty good. What is a deep <laughs> south kid? What's his experience like with the with the cold of New York State? Oh, um, it's a little rough. Uh, I'm not used to all the snow. They kind of laughed at me when I was so shocked um, to see you know, more than two inches at a time. Uh, but it's it's an adjustment. You mean they didn't shut down the whole city? No, yeah. They don't shut down <laughs> the school for a dusting. No, uh, it's actually funny. The Tenth Mountain Division, the like Army's Arctic unit, uh, shut down for snow last week, and we still had class. It was funny. What? I know, <laughs> man. What? The, by the way, the Army's Arctic unit. I mean, I'm showing my age here, but I, I had a bunch of Arctic kind of white dressed dudes for gi joe they were oh my, my they were my favorite toys to play with <laughs> so when you say the arctic division that sounds so awesome like yeah, i want to so. i want to join like right now just to be in the arctic division because mm -hmm. i'm fat you know fat white yeah. dudes i mean we're kind of genetically created for the tundra so, yeah, so i mean why are you not in it oh well actually it's funny enough I went skiing for the first time yesterday, and uh, that's why I'm not in the Arctic unit. I, I'm not a good skier. <laughs> that's something you probably have to do from early on. You know, oh yeah. It would yeah. amaze me if somebody from Alabama was on that, and if, <laughs> you know, and if they did, then they probably were just going to be really good learners at whatever. Um, yes. But you know, we a couple of weeks ago, of course, we had like a big snow scare, and everything shut down, and there wasn't even a, a even a hint of snow. I mean, we were making like dirt <laughs> angels outside. If that tells you anything, oh, and that hurts. Well, let me let me ask you some questions. Um, yes, sir. So, tell me a little bit of. So, you're what 19, 18, 19 now. You're probably 19. nineteen years old. What is it like to be your age and a Christian and dealing in the world that you live in, preparing for the military? You know, of course, this is like an Ivy League education at West Point. Dealing with the academic struggles, dealing with uh, trying to figure out who you are as growing up uh, to be um, a man. You are a man now, but to be a full grown responsible adult. Well, I mean, what are some of the things going through your mind? You're a freshman now for people to know. You're This is your second semester at West Point. So yes, tell me about where you are and who you are and all those things. Oof. Um, well, let's see. Uh, it's definitely been an adjustment. Um, moving, you know, I think it's a thousand miles even from home. Um, and then be thrown into a pretty rigorous uh, curriculum and stuff. And it's a, it's been an adjustment. Uh, I've learned a lot about my own uh, personal like will um, as far as, you know, do I want to get up in the morning? Or do I want to do this homework? Um, and uh it's kind of funny. It's almost like I haven't had a lot of time to adjust and kind of figure out who I am. It's just been kind of passively happening in the background. Um, and I, I'm pretty happy with everything that's going on. And 
it's almost like I just kind of stumbled into everything, um, which I guess shows that somebody's behind the scenes kind of directing everything that I don't know about. Yeah. You talk about the will. Uh, what does it take to have the will to do what you're doing? I, I'm assuming a lot of that is your age. And let's face it, I was your age at one point, and it, there's there's bliss in ignorance. So you, 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 you kind of go headstrong into something, and then you'll figure – you know, I'll figure, I'll figure it out later. Right. Um, it's when you gain experiences that kind of start making you more timid. Right. So when you're my age and you know, I'm, I'm somewhere between, um, your age and like a retirement person. So I'm like rat smack in the middle of my adulthood. I mean, then we call this in the middle age. It's, it's basically, I'm, I'm too young to be retired and, and take my AARP card. Uh, but I'm not young enough to do what you do. Uh, but yes. it's very interesting to talk about the will because the will is something that you have to deal with from now on, which is mm-hmm. I see something that I think I should do and I need to do, but whether or not I can push myself through it is another issue. And that's where we come to cultivate the will. So tell me about mm-hmm. like what you have gone through to get to the point where you are now and how much more do you think you need to do to cultivate a, a will that looks Christ-like? Hmm. Um, I'll definitely say, I think I've kind of followed like a, a bit of a curve as far as like will strength goes. Uh, coming out of Cadet Basic, I, there wasn't much that I would not push myself to do. Um, and then it's kind of leveled out a little bit. But um, I think what I need to do now to really build that back up is to force myself out of my comfort zone. That I think that's the best place to develop will and stuff. And I saw it through the, the summer training and stuff. There was a lot of times where I didn't want to do stuff. It was uncomfortable. I didn't like it, but I did it anyways. And it really developed um, kind of a, a will to do stuff that I don't want to do, a personal a discipline to to do, tell myself to do something I don't want to do, uh, even though I don't want to do it, essentially. <laughs> wow. So in other words, I love what you just said, to be able to do something new. And in fact, you kind of lose that sense as you get older. Right. Mm -hmm. Because just for varying things. But I think especially when it comes to Christian men, we still need to figure out a way to to do what you just said. How do I get out of my comfort zone? Because I think it's only getting out of your comfort zone that you realize there are there are things that I have that I had probably missed my blind side that I have missed Mm -hmm. because I haven't I didn't realize I was deluding myself into some false sense of security. Like I've got a weak part that nobody is telling me about and I was deluding myself about and putting myself outside the box and challenging myself allows me to almost take a look at and take an evaluation of who I am and the places that I need to change. Is that what happened to you like over the summer? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I definitely saw that. Um, it was different, it, you know, coming out of a Christian school, Christian home and everything. I was just kind of surrounded by it. I, I didn't know. And then as soon as I got out of it, you know, the first week I realized there's, this is different. I'm on my own now. I've got to learn, you know, how do I make the Christian decision in, in these situations when I don't have somebody you know, teaching me what to do. And um, I remember we had a book we had to read before we came. And it was so weird reading a book and not having someone, you know, walk me through, okay, this is the truth in it. And this is, you know, what's right, what's wrong. And it was kind of weird being on my own for the first time, really, to to look at something and then use my own lens uh, to evaluate it instead of having somebody there help me make sure I was making uh, the right interpretations of what I was reading. Um, so it was, it was uh, 
kind of different and it was a good learning process. I think I've uh, worked on it a little bit. Hopefully I keep working on it. Um, I mean, it's different being on your own. Yeah. You're, and, uh, you're trying like to, that. you're trying to cultivate. I, I talk about this a lot wherever I go and I've touched based a little bit on other podcasts, but so in order to navigate the world that we live in, we have, we are called as Christians and non-Christians to navigate this, this world because we're, but it's broken and we're broken. And in order to, in order to try to make the best possible decision, whether it's a moral decision or just any kind of action, we're always trying to figure out a way of what's the most optimal best action at any point in time. And what we're as a Christian, what we say is we can evaluate those things best when we have cultivated a certain disposition of character um, that, you know, whether we, we call it Christ likeness. So in other words, we become, as we become more Christ like and our will and our minds and our emotions are all aligning to a place where it's pointed towards Christ. It's only then can we make, well, at least I'll say it this way. It's only then that we can put ourselves in an optimal place to make the right wise decision because the world is complex, Right. So when you don't yeah. have your hand held anymore and you get pushed out into the world, you're, I mean, Luke is expected to make a decision for himself and that's not an easy thing to do. So you're trying to, by putting yourself outside the box, you are forcing yourself to create and cultivate a character and a behavior. Well, let's just think about the world that you're living in. I don't know much about the military, but what I would, I would, I would assume they're trying to do is create a certain type of Luke that when you're finished, you can lead respectively in whatever the military tells you to go into that. They don't have to ultra kind of what what they call it? Micromanage you. They would hope a Luke can be put out there to make the best possible decision for Luke, the group that he's in in the overall military, because you cannot micromanage everybody and everybody's decision. So there is an optimal army leader that they're trying to make you be. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So what would you, how do they do that where you're at? What is the optimal army soldier that you're sporting, supposed to be pointed to? How do they do that? Um, let's see. There's, we have a lot of like character development classes, especially for the, the underclasses, like honor and trust and honesty and stuff like that. And they uh, kind of try to get you used to, the first year you're only responsible for yourself. So right now I'm learning how to, manage my own time and keep up with different commitments and classes and everything and then next year i'll they'll give me uh, a freshman to be in charge of and then as you get older and stuff they kind of slowly build you into having more and more people underneath you and uh learning how to manage people how to manage yourself with people underneath you and so it's i'm kind of in the beginning stages of learning how to effectively lead myself first and then others and, and uh it kind of grow the, the sphere of influence uh, after that. So I'm not going to put you in a place to kind of give us intimate details of West Point. We'll uh, leave those at West Point and where you're at, <laughs> not try to get you in trouble. Um, but um, I will, but I will kind of, I want to tease out some things that might be helpful uh, for somebody your age group. I asked you this question when you came for Christmas. Um, what would the Luke Sanders now tell the Luke Sanders of a year ago? Um, that you think that he would have needed to understand a little bit better of what it means to be on your own? I would definitely tell myself, um, you know, 
first practice, learn to manage your time a little bit better. Um, and second, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. I feel like a lot of the times I was you know, timid. I wouldn't go ask teachers and stuff. And now I'm live in my math professor's office. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and then uh, the other thing was learn to spend time uh, in the word by yourself and really learn how to use learn how to use yourself as a resource um, in spiritual things. Like learn to be, I want to say spiritually independent, I guess. Um, kind of a, hard to put it into words, but I felt like I was too dependent on my environment for a while. So that when I got here, it was kind of a shock. Um, it's like, oh, I'm on my own now. I got to figure this out. And I wish I'd kind of had a little more experience Uh doing that by myself um sure. so that it wasn't such a shock when i first got here but uh, to your defense i mean you you are at home when you're in school you didn't have many opportunities to go out and and do those you are now i mean that's the whole that's the whole point mm-hmm. of west point in your west point experience is to is to cultivate this type of character and to learn outside the box and challenge yourself it's fun you know i think what i would like to take from what you're saying is don't ever stop Right. Don't ever get complacent. You know, my dad said, don't he got this from that movie, The Mule with Clint Eastwood. Don't ever let the old man in. You know, I mean, that's what they used to tell. That's what Clint Eastwood would say about himself. He's near his 90s and still directing movies. You know, he's he's kind of kind of a rough, grumpy dude. But he says, I never let the old man in. And as in turn, when it comes to men, especially since you're a young man and you're a man and I'm a man, that's something we always have to think about as a as a Christ follower, especially as a man, we are always challenging ourselves to become not only better men, but in some ways being strong men, you know, being a strong man, being yes, showing mercy and kindness and all those things that Christ did, but to challenge ourselves and to put ourselves in the situations where we can constantly, you know, be in boot camp. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, seriously, dude, I'm 42 years old. And I'm tired. <laughs> you know, I'm not in my 80s, but good gracious, I'm tired. I sometimes I just want to be left alone, but you, but I still need to be at it and going after it. And that's one of the things I learned from your class last year. Was so excited about from my own life was I liked getting out there with with my son. I love seeing the things that you do. You know, I think being around young people allow you the opportunity to kind of stay young and to look at things a different way. And uh, I mean, I I am. I am totally for you. I am totally praying about you, about your family. And I am super excited to see where your life goes. And I only hope, and I'm pretty, if I had to put all the chips in one place, it w- I would pretty much put them all on. You're going to be a success. Uh, <laughs> but we, we thank you for coming on. And, and I, I want to bring you on more, you know, when it yes, fits, sir. because I think, I think we can pick your brain. And of course we got the other Luke, uh, oh, Luke yeah. Bayless, who's down at Auburn, a oh, poor guy, you know, you know, he could, he, I know, dude, that's a bad place that's to a, be. That's a bad pl- if it's not West Point <laughs> or Tuscaloosa, we don't really want anything to do with it. So, that's uh, right. <laughs> but, uh, we'll, we'll get, we'll get other people that are, that are, that were involved in my, my school days when I was teaching and, uh, we appreciate you and you, you bring a little tactical faith up at West Point and we will <laughs> see you soon, brother. Sounds good. Thanks for having me.